You're listening to the B2B Content Show, a podcast about the how, what, and why of B2B content marketing. The show is brought to you by Conversa, a podcasting agency that helps B2B brands start podcasts to connect with prospects, grow brand awareness, and create better content. I'm Jeremy Shear, and my guest today is Adam Kranitz. Hello, Adam. It's good to see you. Welcome to the show. Jeremy, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. You're quite welcome. So we're going to talk today about a topic that I think is really fascinating, and there's been a lot of chatter about it on LinkedIn and in other places, and that's publishing content like a media organization. Mm-hmm. So let's just start right there. What, what does that mean for a B2B company to publish content like a media organization? What are we actually talking about? Right. So let's kind of roll back the clock a little bit and just kind of look at historically what's happened. I think marketers have have found in the last five to seven years that their performance on advertising and traditional PR is getting harder to harder to track. And in fact, their customer acquisition costs are getting more and more expensive through that traditional medium. And what does advertising and public relations typically have in common? Uh, what the commonality is that there is a gatekeeper between a brand and its customers or a brand and its potential buyers. And nobody likes to deal with a gatekeeper. So I think what we've seen is marketers in an, a, a valid attempt to build better direct relationships with their prospective buyers and their customers have started to search for ways to bypass traditional gatekeepers of audience so that their cost, customer acquisition costs can be lowered, but also they then will own data around who those buyers are, how they interact with the brand, rather than, again, having to depend on a third party who typically, in the case of traditional advertisers or PR firms, not all, but most, do not give you any, if any, any, if any good first party data on those potential buyers. So... Marketers are becoming more data savvy. They want first party data. They want to build audiences. The way they've found that is to communicate directly. And the way that they found to communicate directly that has the most impact high in the stack, high in that customer journey is through educational content, through content marketing programs. And the delivery vehicle for that is talk to customers like they interact with their traditional media outlets. They do not, you do not need to reinvent the wheel, right? Of how consumers consume media. I mean, we all have our habits, our media habits, right? So let's leverage that instead of trying to, again, recreate the wheel of, of, Hey, try to try to subscribe to my brand content because I'm, I'm a brand you could trust, yada, yada, yada. It's let's -hmm. give you some education. Let's give you some entertainment. Let's give you some value. We're going to give it to you on a regular cadence in a way that Mm -hmm. you feel comfortable and the way that you like to consume information. And that's that's where we are today with brands acting as media publishers. Sorry for that long-winded explanation. No, no, that no, that's great. I, I asked for it. So you you delivered. And <laughs> and that that actually I think is a pretty good succinct overview. So I mean, do you see this then as something that's we're already there, we're already doing it insofar as most B2B companies of any, you know, sophistication have an insights page or resources with a blog and videos and webinars. I mean, is, is that what, what we're talking about or is there, or is there another level that some brands are there, but we're all kind of striving for to be even more like a media organization or doing it better. Like where do, where do, where do you think? Yeah, it's definitely a spectrum. I mean, there's different levels of capabilities. I, my 
impression is that B to C brands tend to do it a little bit better because they understand consumer demographics and behaviors a little bit better. A great example is a company like NerdWallet who's been doing it very successfully for many, many years, high volume, high quality content to help people understand financial services or financial mm-hmm. options or financial products that are available to consumers. And then offering that, using that data of how they interact with the content site like to serve them financial products through, from a third party, right? So that, that, that tends to be very good because they understand that consumer dynamic. I think where you're seeing fewer or less impactful uses of brands as media companies is companies who sell into the enterprise or strictly in a business-to-business mm-hmm. motion. The reason that's changing is, as I think we can all agree, is that all B2B motions and B2C motions are starting to merge together in this trend of more and more buyers being primarily and predominantly online. Yeah. B2B motions are pretty much B2C motions at this point in terms of direct, taking taking your content direct to consumers. So mm-hmm. by and large, B2C has been doing it well for years now. Now it's our turn in the B2B world to start catching up and, and uh, with our B2C brethren. Yeah. So one challenge that comes to my mind is that when I think about a true, like actual media brand, you know, like mm-hmm. whatever, let's say the New York Times, right? One key there that's going to keep me coming back is that every single day, and, and frankly, not even just every day, but like sometimes every hour or whatever, when I open up that app on my phone, there's something new. It's mm-hmm. not just the same set of stories. You know what I mean? That and because it's news, right? So you expect that, but and, and and there are some apps though that you know some outlets that might check it, and I'll be like, oh, this is I already saw most of these things yesterday, or like for whatever reason they haven't updated it, or maybe it's the weekend. I'm like, oh well, nothing new here to see. Bye bye. I'm going to go elsewhere. You know what I mean? That's in contradistinction to your average B two B resources page, where you're not going to see something new every single day. You know, usually it's, it's more like once a week, once a month. Oh, there's a new blog post, a new video, you know, but it's, it's way more static. I would think that to get closer to the level of a real like media publishing cadence, it would need to be way more frequent. Like you'd almost have to build out a whole media organization, like reporters and producers (laughs) that just do that. You know what I mean? That, that seems like a really big lift for a lot of organizations. But I mean, what do you think? Am I just sort of being like too, am I getting too in the weeds in, in this? Am I overthinking no. it? Or or no, is that no. like ultimately what, what we're probably going to see or what we should see? So great question. So there's a lot to unpack there. So let's, let's kind of talk about that comparison of a, of a, of a XYZ company versus the New York times. Yeah. First and foremost, those two entities have different, organizational incentives or organization yeah. incentive alignment about why they publish for the times they have a remit to create world-class journalism on the editorial side. And then on the business side is to create inventory to sell ads. So they need volume, yeah. right. And impressions. So they need to create inventory, right. For a brand, we don't need to create inventory to sell ads. We need just the, we need to, cre- we need to create content that is pulling the right type of buyer to our site and get yeah. them to take an action with us, right? So the point isn't to act like a media organization in terms of how we publish, but to derive concepts from the world of journalism and publishing to help us become more effective marketers. 
So act like a media organization may, in fact, be a little bit of a misnomer. And, and here's what I mean. When we think about the content creation, we just we call it content marketing at Lucent Link. I think most brands do. The idea is, hey, we need to make something to help tell the company story, the brand story, the market story, the customer story. There's all these layers of story, right? At the end of the day, we have to make things. And those things take many shapes and forms depending on how we want to tell the story or we feel it's the most engaging way to tell the story. So in a typical kind of creative services model, you might create a video. And that video is going to live on the on a page in the resources section, as you mentioned. And so the creative services team thinks about it in context of somebody's watching this video on our resources page. So that contextually, they have all the information that they need about the company because they're already on our website. Yeah, That breaks down once you start to publish and distribute content outside of your wall garden. And so one of the things you have to think about is content travels, right? So as a media, if you're going to be truly a media organization, you have to understand the platform on which that content is being consumed. So you have to work with creative services team. Hey, if we have this video and it is embedded and it is living on a third party site, or we don't even know where it's going to live ultimately, you know, our, our, our partners may take it and publish it on their partner pages or the media may use it in the story release or whatever. How are you going to give people who are watching the correct context of who you are and what the company is? You have to do that storytelling bit, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to think of yourself as wrapping the entire story in that one little piece because the, it, you, people are not going to have context. So that's one way that we have to break the, the norms of how we typically do content production, content marketing, content creation, creative services. We have to think about our content living in a contextless-free environment. I think media organizations do that very well. Secondly, when we think about content, we tend to think in marketing worlds of we have a trade show coming up in three months and we need everything aligned against that trade show, product release and everything. Or we have an end of quarter promotion, right? We got we to gotta hit those numbers. Or an ex another <coughs> example, excuse me, might be we have a PR announcement going out at, at this time and we need everything to align against that. I'm not saying that's wrong, but that's not how a media operation works. Right. Imagine you subscribe to Netflix and they just dropped episodes whenever they felt like it to yeah. them. Right. So what people crave or consumers crave is predictability and yeah. consistency. And so as content marketers, we have to think about maybe we don't just publish it when it's, when each episode is ready. Maybe we create all the content ahead of time, put it in queue and publish it on a weekly cadence. And people always say, what's the best time to publish? Like, should I do it Monday at six or yeah. whatever, Friday? No, who cares? Just get it on the site and let people find you, assuming you've done your search engine optimization correctly yeah. and you've, you've done the right type of work to make sure your content is findable for your, for your particular buyer, but get it on the site. But when you do get it on the site, make sure if you've got episodic content, and we're going to talk about episodic content in a second, yeah. consistency, like a media publisher, New York Times puts out content every day. Netflix drops things, you know, in six, you know, six, eight, 12 episode chunks. You get the mail delivered to your house every time, the same time. People yeah. expect those things when they want them, if they are interested in them. Why are you doing it randomly? 
Okay. Yeah. So that's the next thing about changing mindsets. The third thing to think about in terms of, of, of pulling forward that, that kind of media or journalistic approaches, you don't need to tell everybody everything in that singular piece. Right. Mm-hmm. You can tell like, and when we talk about media, we're not just talking about journalism. We're talking about media and entertainment in general. Mm-hmm. You think about your favorite television show. They don't tell you the whole story in one episode. There's 12 right. episodes. Right? Mm-hmm. And some of the best stuff doesn't reveal things like, you know, big props to Apple TV and severance. The best TV shows I've watched in years. So good. And it, it only it just revealed stuff as you, it kept you coming back to see where the story evolves. That's the idea as marketers. We don't yeah. need to give people the entire pitch or information in one episode. Tell a story, a three episode beginning, middle and end with conflict. Yeah. There's, there's classic story arcs. Utilize that across multiple episodes. That's particularly well formatted for audio, audio based content or audio podcasts, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Right. Or what we're doing here. And so tell that story over time, let it unfold, give it some space to breathe. Mm-hmm. So that's another way we can, we can use, uh, utilize that idea of how media brands, media entertainment brands connect with consumers that we can adopt. Mm-hmm. The, okay. Well, now there's a lot to unpack in, in yeah. what you said too. And, and yeah, this concept of serial content, I think that's really interesting and quite important. And I think you're exactly right. That's essentially what media brands do. In one form or another, they are parceling out serialized content Mm -hmm. that keeps you coming back just in the most basic way because you want to find out what happens next. Mm -hmm. Or in the case of a lot of podcasts, say, that, you know, let's say you're publishing a podcast weekly, it might Mm -hmm. not literally be that you're telling the a continuation of the same story every week, although some podcasts do that. It's more that, a theme. yeah, but you're right. You're building on a theme or you've come to count on this podcast for really good discussions around whatever the, the theme <laughs> or topic is. And you, and so there is a kind of continuity from week to week. It's the same host and a rotating series of guests. And you're going to mm-hmm. learn more and more and more about this mm-hmm. larger theme. And, and I mean, for for us particular, for me in particular, I find podcasts to be a very useful way to do this to mm-hmm. more so than I could imagine doing like in a blog series or something, mm-hmm. which would just, I don't know, feel like a much heavier lift or that's as- mm-hmm. really asking a lot of consumers. You're going to need to read pretty lengthy blogs week after week mm-hmm. to get that experience mm-hmm. much easier to do in a podcast, I think. But, mm-hmm. but I, th- I think you're really onto something there. It's that serialized kind of almost like reported content. There's a bit of reportage in it because you're talking to other people, stuff like that, you know, say, say more about kind of the power of serialized content because I, yeah, I just think that's intriguing. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think some of the best success I had, I, I think back to some content we used to, we did together at Avid Technology, which is a software and technology here for creative professionals. Their, their users create some of the most loved media and entertainment in the world. And what, one of the cool things is some of our customers were doing a concerts and tours, touring, touring bands, like high profile ones. There were several high profile bands that were, went on tour and we had a member of one of our employees who was also a live sound engineer. So we had that live sound engineer take photos and notes from each of the tour stops and talk about the creative process of managing a live sound recording and mm-hmm. using you know the company's tools and 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 the artists 
you know, style and genre that they were trying to convey and do a multi-part blog post or a blog series where you followed the live sound engineer on his journey across the country, mm. but also got an insight into how bands, you know, put on a show and how they craft yeah. their persona through the use of sound in the amphitheater or in the performance space, which is really what our customers are interested in because they want to be able to replicate that success. So mm -hmm. it's that behind the scenes material that follows them through that was really impactful. I find the ability to pull back the curtain and reveal a little bit about the inner workings of how our customers do what they do to be the most yeah. powerful tool in our editorial you know, arsenal. Anything that's behind the scenes that uh, that that demystifies the the process and makes it approachable and accessible for consumers, that's all we ever want, right? We all strive to be better at our craft. We all strive to have access to the the best tools and the best solutions to be able to execute our craft. And we all want to further our careers. So if we have brands can pull forward that aspiration into the things that we write and lift people up and put and, and, and show people the path and then bring them along on that journey. And one of the best things that we can do now that media is so interactive, especially a podcast and, and video series is we can build, bring those people into that chat, right? We can have, yeah. we can have guests call in, record record their questions and then read it back on the air, or we can have them participate, bring them into virtual events and have them participate in the function. Anytime that you can pull those super fans into the process of content creation as well, mm. right? It makes it more genuine, less yeah. brandy and more authentic, yeah. which I think is really important in this interactive world that we live in that especially real time events, virtual events, uh, audio based content. There's absolutely no reason why we can't, you know, if you think about the, <laughs> The old days of, you know, version one of doing this was comments on a blog, which was which was fine yeah. in its day. Like version two, three, and four of that is really okay. Let's pull those people into the act of the into the act of creating the content as well yeah. as it happens. Yeah, make it collaborative, right? Yeah. There can be real yeah, power in that. And yeah. you know, as you were talking, it, it sort of sparked an idea because you at, at one point you were kind of describing, you know, kind of like a, a, a dynamic version of a case study, right? kind of spooling out in a serial way instead of here's a one page overview of this company and how we help them and all that. Okay. That, that's fine. You know, but what if you did it in a more dynamic way? You know, what if it was a more in-depth story that was kind of serialized? And I'm thinking about a good example of that in the podcast world is a show called how I built this hmm. very popular podcast. H-I-B-T. Right. It's and it's right on my phone. It's yeah. And it's really good. Right. It's just yeah. like, a lot of brands that are some very famous, some a little bit less, but they tell this story in the classic, classic narrative arc, often talking with the founder, right? Well, and it's just, they do it really well. And, and it's actually not that hard to do. And I could see push, something like I'll push that back with be, you on that. <laughs> well, I'm saying, okay, I'm talking about from the point of view of a podcast producer, I'm listening yeah. to that. And like, I, I know what they're doing to put it together. Uh. And it's uh, actually the way they're, I think they're doing it in a very efficient way, actually, for what they're doing. It's way more complicated than the, the, the typical case study, for sure. There's a lot more going on to it. But to do something dynamic like that, like it is doable. It is totally doable without having to spend like thousands and thousands of dollars. I agree. So, but here's where I'll push back. Okay. I think. The production of it is not easy, but it is it is not 
it is not as complicated as it used to be. Let's be honest. I mean, there's, yeah. there's great agencies like yours that can, that a brand can work with to facilitate it. Brands can do it themselves if they choose to. There's a lot of options. Yeah. The tools and the technology are there to, 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 it wasn't like when I got started in the business, it was, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars just to own the equipment to start the creative process, not, not, and not even, you know, start to create it. Yeah. But here's, here's what's, what's hard. Where all this starts kind of expanding the scope of this discussion is customers. If you don't have a good relationship with your customers, or if you don't have a customer success team, or if you don't have a high NPS score, or if you're not interacting with your customers, you're never going to get that kind of customer referral or customer Mm -hmm. reference marketing that's going to make your content shine. So the hardest place for all brands to start on this path is is getting customers involved. And the reason a lot of brands struggle is because they haven't done the work up front to build super close relationships. Mm-hmm. In the world of software that I live in, it, it, it really starts with the sales process. And I, you know, I've got to admit, the LucidLink has some of the world's best sales professionals that I've ever worked with. And then it go, moves on to the customer success team for onboarding and making sure they have an amazing experience. Yeah. And at the conclusion of that amazing onboarding experience, we start to make ass. Hey, would you mind doing a review for us on a software site? Oh, yeah. would you mind doing a video testimonial? Oh, would you mind co-authoring some content with us, a case study? So the, the starting point for me is not, hey, let's make something. The starting point for me is, are we as a company treating our customers with love and respect that would give them the mm-hmm. feeling that they'd want to help evangelize the brand? Really starts there. Yeah. And that's where I think many brands are struggling with getting customers to, to do that mm-hmm. referral marketing piece. Mm-hmm. And that that's why sales and market, and again, beyond the scope of part of this discussion, let's, let's reconnect on another discussion about that alignment between sales and marketing. And when those two teams are aligned mm-hmm. in lockstep, amazing things happen because now you have the sales process that creates raving, delighted customers who are then ready to turn over to marketing to do amazing content with. Yeah, I, I, everything you say is, is true. I agree 100%. I guess I would only add that I think another benefit of creating content with customers is that if, if you do it the right way and you're collaborating with them, it will strengthen your relationship with them. You know, so I think it's part of it. It's, it's not a dichotomy. It's not like, well, first part A, you must develop this awesome relationship and only then. Can you begin mm-hmm. creating content? I think yeah. you have to have some relationship, right? But the reason I think that it works, say, if you wanted to, if you had a, a podcast and you're inv- you know, inviting your customers on, it's, it's a value add to them because you're like, well, we, we are going to feature you in this 30-minute piece of content. It's all about you mm-hmm. and the things that you do and telling your story. You know? So it's not that they're just doing you a favor. You're adding quite a bit of value to them, especially if, and especially if you're doing a, how I built this style piece of content, which actually now, the more I'm thinking about this, I'm like, wow, that is quite a good idea. We should maybe pitch that a little bit. But anyway, you know, I I can imagine most customers would be like, hell yeah, we want to be featured in a, in a thing like that. I mean, who wouldn't want to be? Right. Isn't it amazing when you build an, so we as marketers tend to focus on building brand, you know, from an agency perspective, building brands for customers and, and, and then, and building that master brand for the company as well from the, from the corporate marketing side. But when you can create, and I hesitate to say the word brand, but when you can create 
definable communications vehicles that have a a feeling of their own, a genre of their own. And this is worth part of the discussion as well. You can create, when you create a platform that then has authority in the community that you're selling into, magically, it's not really magic, you have all these people start, I want to be a part of that. So yeah. that's a big benefit of building that distributed, that platform communication vehicle yourself, because you're going to start attracting all these people who aren't even doing business with you and you want to be part of that. Yeah. So let's, let's, so I, not to hijack the discussion, but let's talk about that really quick. Sure. I think a really important part of this process, Jeremy, is when you create those distribution channels, whether again, be a video, audio, whatever, smoke signals, whatever you want to do, you've got to create an identity for it. Not necessarily mm-hmm. brand, but a specific identity that makes it clear what you're going to get out of it. You can create multiple identities for your brand, your content marketing efforts. I always use the Netflix model as an example. You open up Netflix and it's not it's not just for one person. You can select a category, then you can select a subcategory and probably a subcategory after that mm-hmm. and find a, a, a content series that's 12 episodes long or multiple seasons long that will like be that perfect fit for you. Like you can go in and select, you know, sci-fi, then sci-fi mm-hmm. comedies, then sci-fi comedy romance thrillers. Like, and you're yeah. probably going to find like six or seven things that are like just right. Like that's my genre. That's my specific. And so I think that that ability to cater to niche, and I think brands get a little bit scared of the word niche because they think small audience. Who cares yeah. if it's a small audience as long as it's the right audience? Yeah. And typically you're going to have the right buyer and the right audience because it's specific to their business problem and it's not yeah. overly generic. So my big theme here, my big point here is don't try to be all things to all people when you create content. Think about channels or genres or streams, whatever you want to call it, of content that people can tune into and not be distracted. They can hop over to another series if they want, right? If they... if but. But give them, and, and and sometimes that content series is finite. Maybe it's only ever four, yeah. five, six episodes long, and it's done. You've told that story, right? Mm-hmm. So that could be evergreen, or at least live probably a couple of years, theoretically. And then you can mm-hmm. sunset it and replace it with something new or a refresh of that, right? Mm-hmm. So I think brands need to be cognizant of no, none of that consistency that we talked about earlier. Publish on a specific time. That email newsletter should go out every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Come Call Marine or Shine. That the blog should be posted Tuesday afternoon at 5 p.m. or whatever. Come Rain or Shine, right? No matter what. So you've got the consistency, you've got the genre or specific track of content for people to consume. And then on your website, hopefully you've done the job. This is something that we're working on right now, like literally today, is publishing a, you know, again, what do you call it? Resources library, whatever a way for people to dive into what they're interested in, mm-hmm. right? They can select mm-hmm. their channel. They can select their resource. So many content companies, so many brands will organize their content by content type, which drives me nuts. Like here's all my blogs. I don't, right. I, I don't, who cares? I don't know what's in right. that stuff. <laughs> right. Yeah. Here's yeah. all my videos. Like, okay. So why don't we as marketers organize content by theme and topic? And this is a big thing. I'm, I'm talking about mm-hmm. this now. This is a big thing that we're working on right now as a refresh to our, to, to the way that we approach content and, and presenting that content is finding your niche and becoming experts there. Just like yeah. media organizations, New York Times has got some really good, 
they're not they're not they don't know everything but what they do know they're really good at wall street journal barons you know forbes they all have their own kind of theme and so you as a brand should be able to tackle that so that kind of gets me to my next point which is how do you enable that content production right and you're going my approach is this and i'm not saying it's right for everyone but i think i'm i don't think i know that you need a blended approach of having a content marketing team that owns the strategy our approach is a three-person team within the marketing group that's a content marketing strategist a content marketing writer slash editor a chief editor and then a content marketing designer so almost the agency model of words and pictures mm-hmm. to some degree the old days now we've got strategy editorial and design integrated to deliver that media right mm-hmm. but how do you scale that? Well, you could hire a bunch of people. Yeah. That's not really tenable for most brands, yeah. right? So where I think what's interesting is having that content team set the strategy and issuing the writing briefs. What do we need? Really sharp, creative briefs to freelancers and building a freelance pool of writers mm. and editors and content creators and influencers who can create on your behalf. So you've got to have that blended model of the internal team that sets the strategy an editorial direction and brand voice and templates and process. Yeah. And then the outside folks, the freelancers, the writers, there's tons and tons and tons of talented professionals yeah. who just do nothing but write content, whether it's bylined or it's ghostwritten on behalf of the brands. And when yeah. you can fuse those two together, then you can achieve volume and scalability. Yeah, indeed. I, I think that is a, that's a workable model. I mean, I've, I've used, something like that model myself. And I think it really hinges on finding the right content producers, the right freelancers Mm -hmm. who are just right for you. You're right that there are an endless number of these people out there. In my experience, I found that it's, there's a large percentage of that pool that are like, yeah, I'm a writer. I'm a, you know, anyone can call themselves that, you know, And, you know, there are all kinds of ways of vetting. You look at their samples and, you know, yeah. get some references and stuff like that. But it can be, I, I think it's still a little bit challenging or sometimes a lot challenging to find exactly the right content producer, especially if you are farming it out and they're not living and breathing your brand like every day, you know. Yeah. In other words, you need someone who is a professional writer. And to my mind, what that means is they can write as though they are living and breathing your brand every day. Like you can't tell the difference and that they're just that talented and that professional, you know, those people are a little harder to find, but they're out there. You can find them. Yeah. I I completely hundred percent agree with what you're saying. And, and, and that's, I think that's that model of having that content marketing writer slash editor in chief map out what qualities do we want in a freelance pool and what's our brand and editorial voice. And then go through that process of, you know, you're going to go through, people who don't fit that mold. So what we yeah. tend to do is we tend to do people on a per project writing assignment. If we like their work, then we sign them to longer term contracts. Say, hey, well, I'm going to give you four mm-hmm. or five pieces this quarter to produce yeah. for us. So there's a little bit of trial and error, which is not all brands like to go through because you know you, you want a perfect piece every time. Well, it's not always easy to do, especially yeah. in this format. Here's where I think it's going to be interesting. In the next five years, I, I may, and I may be skipping ahead to some of your, your, your later questions, which is what, what's going to change for brands. Is yeah, yeah. I, think, I think agency models and freelancers are going to rise up to meet this challenge. I think yeah. given the dynamic of remote work, 
given the dynamic of people who worked at large corporate entities and are no longer turned on by that model of working in a large corporate environment and have the freedom to work where they want, the talent pool is going to is going to grow exponentially for people who can do this type of work. Mm-hmm. And not only are they going to be freelancers, they're going to start to form agencies, yeah. right? Or, or service bureaus to support that type of work. So I think the agency model is going to grow and grow and grow. I know, I know as brands, we always tend to flip between, we're going to do everything in-house. Now we're going to get rid of in-house. We're going to do <laughs> kind of go through those cycles. But I think the next cycle we're going to see for sure is, is that, um, there's going to be agencies that that like yours that that are hyper focused on doing a certain type of work yeah. and are well are able to well execute it and you can engage with them on a, an annual contract to to get that work mm-hmm. done and ha- and have some predictability and accountability that you don't always get with just just working with a freelancer. Yeah, I I agree. And you know, a whole other wrinkle to this too that we're it's a whole other topic so we're not going to dive into <laughs> it but it's like AI, you know. Yeah so many AI apps and writers that's just changing the whole concept of what does it mean to produce content? You know, I mean, that's, we're going to be doing some episodes on this show about that coming up in a little bit, but it's an interesting time to be a content creator just in, in all ways. But I mean, the technology is changing so rapidly. It's, Mm -hmm. it's even hard to predict five years from now, what, what this will look like. There'll be things that we're not even talking about now. I'm sure that we're not even imagining. Yeah, no, I, we should let, please invite me back for a roundtable discussion on the impact of chat yeah. GPT on, mm-hmm. on uh, brand marketing. I, I do think though that the power of personal storytelling will, will triumph over automatically generated content, at least for the next five to 10 years. And so I'll give you an example. I was remarkable. I was at an event this morning for my, my daughter's school where they had some of the children, I would say third grade up to the, the 12th grade level talk about their experience being at this school for many years. And they, they, they gave very powerful stories about mm-hmm. first meeting their teachers and meeting their, meeting their peers and, the, and, and growing up together and doing camping trips together. And that power of personal storytelling to me mm-hmm. is yeah. something that just cannot be replicated artificially. And so I think that's what we get from the human factor when we engage, when we engage people who, who not just, trying to treat writers as grunt. I need 500 words every month, but you bring a perspective that I can't get anywhere else based on your experience. And I want that experience Mm. and personal storytelling to come through in the work as well, to be more engaging. Yeah. It's a good example. And at at least for right now, I think we can see that as a bulwark, like AI can't (laughs) do that. They can't write about your own, your personal experience at a school or whatever. 10 years from now, maybe maybe that'll change. I don't know. It's kind of hard to imagine. But anyway, that's a topic for another time. And we'll definitely, yeah, we'll have you back and we can, we can chat more about that because it's just fascinating. Anyway, but for now though, Adam, thank you so much. What, a, what an insightful conversation. Sure. I find myself engrossed. So how can people connect with you if they want to you know, continue this conversation in other ways? Well, first of all, Jeremy, thank you for the opportunity to, to, to connect with you. I love what you're doing and what your agency is doing. So I'm excited to see how you go forward. As far as myself, you can certainly look up my name in, in LinkedIn and connect with me there. I'd love to love to connect with them on LinkedIn. So I look forward to it and I appreciate you giving me a chance to, to, to connect here. Okay. Well, thank you so much. This was great. Thank you so much. Have a great afternoon. That's it for this episode of the B2B Content Show. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts on any podcast app. 
And while you're at it, you might as well give the show five stars and leave an over-the-top comment about how much you love the podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you know someone who you think would be a great guest, let us know. You can contact me at jeremy at conversa.com. That's C-O-N-N-Versa.com. The B2B Content Show is brought to you by Conversa Podcasting. Check us out at conversa.com to learn more about how we help B2B brands start podcasts to connect through conversation with the buyers and decision makers you need to get to know to grow your business. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.